Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Golf Shake podcast. My name is Kieran Clark, coming to you on what is a spectacular day in St Andrews. The sun is shining, a late burst of summertime, which is fitting, really, as continuing our recent theme of iconic golf destinations in Scotland. The old grey tune this week is the subject of this episode of the podcast. And to join me to dissect the spiritual home of golf and all there is to discover, I am joined by Golf Shake Ambassador Andrew Pickin. Welcome back, Andy. Are you looking forward to the, to today's discussion? Very much so. This was a very special experience in my golfing life and the golfing education of my son and the fact that we were able to enjoy it together was very, very special. Oh, absolutely. It certainly was. And uh, we'll delve into St. Andrews, the town, the old course, all there is to see, walking in the footsteps of history, breathing in the rather unique atmosphere of this town and all there is to see and hopefully try and provide a bit of insight beyond what you have seen on television before. Obviously, people listening to the podcast will have all seen St. Andrews and the old course on TV, but we're trying to get beyond that and just give you a sense of what it feels like to come here. And Andy, you know, you in particular, I think is a great example because you've obviously played the game, you know, for decades and been a student of its history and the, the, the past and what it represents. But you hadn't visited St Andrews before this year. So embarking on that trip, obviously having read and heard so much about it, what were your expectations coming in for what you were about to experience? There was there was an overwhelming feeling of excitement um, because of the fact that this, for me, was such an iconic venue and one that realistically I thought that was perhaps just a little bit out of reach. Um, the fact that it was what I'd perceived to be exclusive. And yet actually when I drilled into it, there is an element of exclusivity there that you just don't understand until you actually look and, and research how to get there. Um, you know, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of applications per year. So there's the ballot system. Uh, and when I started reading your series of articles that, that were really helpful about how to apply for the next year's ballot and the ways in which you could actually obtain a tea time, it then started to become a little more real. Um, there was, there was also a feeling of, um, is it actually going to live up to the excitement that I've built up around this place? Mm -hmm. And I, I can honestly say that it exceeded my expectations a hundredfold because, um, it's it's just such a a sensory experience throughout um, for the whole time that I was there to be able to share that with my son because my son had actually been there before he'd been mm -hmm. up there um, as he detailed in the article that he talked about he'd he'd worked as a volunteer at the Dunhill Championship uh, when he was part of the Lee Westwood Academy and he'd walked the turf and I was incredibly envious of that. Um, <laughs> But neither of us had, had had the opportunity to play it. And he actually conceded to me as we were traveling up there that he never thought that at any point he would have the opportunity to play. Um, he'd had discussions with his granddad. Um, in fact, 
as I was preparing for the trip, I'd hunted out and found in uh, my late father-in-law's um, treasures um, a course planner for the old course when he'd been to visit in the late 80s, uh, where he'd purchased some golf balls and a course planner, but never actually set foot on the, the links. Um, so this this place was... I don't know if this is a sort of borderline religious, spiritual <laughs> type of thing. It, it sounds it sounds tweed describing it like that, but there was <laughs> there was a real spiritual element to this mm. because of the level of expectation of, about the place and the level of excitement. Um, certainly, the drive up there was um, it just flew by. Because knowing that we'd got a secured tea time and that you were waiting for us and you were there and being ready to show us the sights and give us the tour, uh, it's a phenomenal feeling. Really was. No, I can only imagine, and uh, I think you know that drive into St Andrews is one that is very special when the, the iconic skyline appears before you, and um, something that you've seen you know, photographed and caught on video you know, countless times, and to actually see that with your own eyes, I mean, is is very special, and um, and it is a unique thing. It's something that I think people who do live in the area or in Scotland as a whole probably take it for granted as we have seen it so many times but for people particularly those who come internationally it must be quite surreal to actually see it in person uh, but you're it, it definitely it discombobulated me completely <laughs> because if, if if you remember we'd arranged to meet at a particular car park and I ended up going into completely the wrong car park I ended up driving into the old course hotel car park um, by the 17th tee uh, and green um, only to find a couple of golf balls sat in the middle of the car park that had been planted there by a group that were playing the 17th. <laughs> an, an ominous foreboding for the round ahead, I guess, um, <laughs> yeah. what can happen on that devilish hole, but we'll get to the road hole and the rest of them very soon. But um, in, your yeah, right sorry, there, in terms of the the inclusivity of playing the golf course and how to access it, and there are a variety of ways. We have detailed them before, but just quickly to run through them, as you said, Andy, that you can enter a ballot the year before to get a guaranteed tea time. If that doesn't fail, you can also go through travel companies and whatnot to get a secure tea time. But very democratically, there is the, the consistent uh, daily ballot service. So two days before you want to play, you enter the ballot and over half the tea times allocated on the old course are still on the, on the daily ballot. So it's a huge number. And if you, you're drawn through that, you will get a tea time two days in advance and you obviously can go there and experience it. But if not, and you aren't lucky, people do turn up on the day as single golfers and queue up literally overnight just for an opportunity to play. And the, the way they actually organise the tea times, they always ensure that there are free spots, uh, spaces on the, on the tea sheet to give the single golfers a chance of playing. So... You also have a very good chance of playing the old course, something that I think everybody should do at some point, at any point of the year. The course is open 12 months a year, and uh, obviously in winter it's easier to get on than it is in summer. Demand is very high, as you'd expect, but it is open to everybody, and that in itself is obviously something to, to celebrate. We, we've touched on it before. If you were a tennis fan, you can't go and play at Wimbledon, you, know, you can't go and play at Wembley or, or Twickenham or all these iconic venues or Lords, but... You can go and play the old course, you know, the most famous venue in the game. And that is quite a unique thing to golf and uh, something that's quite special. But moving away from the golf course first, then we'll get to that shortly. But the town itself, obviously, it's a 
a small seaside town on the east of Scotland. Uh, quite a unique place, I think it's fair to say, when you consider you have the obviously the huge golf history and the golf tourism, and also the university, uh, one of the most prestigious in the in the in, in the world, really. Uh, I think it actually now ranks number two in the UK. So it's a very highly thought of, very much an international mm. base of students. So walking around mm. St Andrews, it's quite an odd place where you have this small seaside town that is like an international beacon. You know, you walk around the streets here, you hear every accent, every language. It has got a oddly cosmopolitan feel that you would not normally associate uh, with the, the coastline in Scotland. So it's a, a unique place. I think that is an atmosphere that is tangible when you do get here but obviously you had a chance to walk the streets here obviously it's a very old medieval town full of history full of sights i also feel there's a a picture postcard view wherever you look so walking these streets breathing in what it was all about what was that experience like for you well i'm as, as you well know i'm i'm a little bit of a history buff and i'm interested in in all that but particularly the golfing tradition. But what I would say is even if you are not going to play golf at St. Andrews, it's still a wonderful place to visit as a tourist venue in its own right, because to just soak up that atmosphere, that cosmopolitan nature, um, to go into the pubs, to go into the bars, to go into the restaurants, there's a real golf theme, but then you've got this iconic university there's all the street art um there's um that various people have been martyred at different times and Mm. uh, where they were sort of burnt at the stake and they're recognized and it's it's all the different religious conflicts the castles that were there the stories that are there um the the golfing museum that's on site was a fascinating way to spend a couple of hours. Um, and again, but none of this is sort of forced down your throat in any way. It's there and it's presented in a way that if you have any interest that you can just follow the trails and you can really sort of get the flavor of the place by just abandoning the car and then going for a walk in the town. Yeah. Mm. It's, um, it, it had, for me an incredibly exciting uh there was an anticipation from the moment that i saw the first sign indicating where saint andrews was and to the moment that i actually drove out of saint andrews to go back to the lodging accommodation there was an element of excitement whilst ever i was there and that was when i was golfing and when we were looking for somewhere to eat or when we were looking for somewhere to have a break or just to exploring the place it's just there's such a buzz about the place it's fabulous well it certainly is and uh, i think you're you're right there in terms of the atmosphere and you touched on some of the historical sites of interest you have the castle the cathedral you also have um the historic harbour, you have two spectacular beaches, uh, the West and the East Sands as well, and you know the old boutique shops and all the, the old golf shops and uh, just some of the medieval buildings associated with the university as well that you know dates back to the 15th century. So it, there's an awful lot going on there, and the thing is, they, they pack it all in with a very small area. I mean, St Andrews really is more or less just four admittedly quite long streets that's all there is really to it in the center mm. and there's an awful lot there to discover so having a walk around the town and just breathing it all in is an experience uh, in itself but 
Andy, you touched on there some of the pubs and restaurants, and St Andrews is known for them, uh, as many of them to discover. And probably the two most iconic uh, that are known you know, internationally, really, are the Dunvegan Hotel and the Jigger Inn. The Jigger Inn sits just alongside the 17th fairway of the old course, whereas the Dunvegan is just along up, up the road from the 18th green. They say themselves a nine iron away from the 18th green of the old course. So <laughs> going into these venues that are very well known, they have all the pictures of all the previous visitors on the wall, certainly the Dunvegan, Quite, almost gratuitously <laughs> some, virtually everywhere you look on the ceiling, on the wall, on the floor, everything everywhere, everywhere you look there's a famous face looking at you so what was the experience like, what was the, the buzz of going into these two iconic uh, establishments Yeah, th- th- there was a real there was a real kick because if, if, if you're a people watcher like I am um, not only do you get to see the people in the pub that are enjoying the same atmosphere as you, but you've also, you can sort of um, get some kind of an idea of the previous visitors and guests. Mm-hmm. There, literally, there were from presidents to prime ministers to celebrities to some people who I hadn't got a clue who they were, but <laughs> the, the, the whole... Um, element of the place and and there's a common theme that runs through it all and it's just a sheer it's an understanding and a pleasure in the game of golf played at whatever level um to whatever ability but a shared interest in the sport itself and a recognition of its heritage and its traditions and these literally that they would that there were scribbles that had been done 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago by different visitors. Um, and, and it literally, it's like having a meal and a drink in a museum. Um, but it's a living museum mm. that's got a real sort of buzz and atmosphere to it. Um, my, my initial thoughts when we were eating there was how could I possibly secure a spot here for a meal during the 2021 (laughs) open? Because I can think of no better place in the world to be than that pub, that restaurant during the course of that tournament. Yeah. Because, you know, and you literally, like you say, nine iron away. Um, I, I got a similar kind of feel at the the jigger because the, the jigger in obviously used to be the uh, station master's mm-hmm. house when the train line ran through and it's been converted, but it's a beautiful old pub and they've got a fantastic garden that you can sit outside. That's literally a stone's throw away from the 17th green. Um, and, when we were playing in the evening, there was a group of American tourists there who were clearly part of a big party and were offering various <laughs> shouts of support and otherwise to their friends that were playing the holes. Having They'd obviously decided that they'd played the course and that's where everybody was going to meet up. Um, fantastic atmosphere. Absolutely fantastic atmosphere. Um, when Alex and I went... Uh, to watch the Lynx Trophy, some of the world's elite amateur golfers playing. It was a beautiful afternoon, uh, and we spent three hours having a quiet pint, watching these guys uh, from that vantage position, and it was magnificent. Um, Just a, a brilliant vantage point, but also 
knowing that you were there and all the people that had gone before. Uh, I think in the article, actually, I, I tried to sort of list it down in sort of historical yes. terms and in decades and all the rest of it. And I kept, for me, I, I sort of kept thinking back and referencing all these different things I'd seen on the television and different successors and when Tiger was there and when Seve was there. And it really, really, if you've got any kind of an imagination, and I, I think I tend to be quite imaginative <laughs> thinking about these things. It just brought up such imagery mm. um, that I don't think any other golfing experience I've had replicates, really. No, tremendous. And I think you're right there. I think if anyone who has a, the remotest sense of an imagination, uh, it's, a, it's impossible not to get caught up in the surroundings uh, when you're here. Uh, you know, And I'm mm. very privileged to be here quite a lot of the time, it has to be said. And um, it's, uh, it's an experience that... <laughs> I have to say, never gets old. I mean, before I lived in St Andrews, I always said that when I came here, I left feeling alive. It sort of, you know, it inspires you. Um, so the atmosphere of it, the feel of it, the surroundings, and um, never failed to to get me. And uh, and living here, mm. you know, it's you almost get that feeling on a daily basis. And certainly sharing it with other people helps you relive that. And uh, no, it's uh, intoxicating. It really is. And uh, from a, from a teetotaler, that is saying something, but it is intoxicating. And um, <laughs> That's a good way to describe <laughs> but, uh, it. I, I, I can understand exactly what you're saying, because there is that feeling of being almost like a rebooting. Yeah. But it, it, it genuinely does just give you a, a re sort of reinvigorates the passion for yeah. the sport and the game when you've had the opportunity to do as as I did and to be able to share that experience through you because you'd got the you'd got all this knowledge of the area and intimate knowledge that you could share with us but then to be able to impart that to my son and to Alex at the same time it was just a phenomenal a phenomenal experience yeah. um one that'll live long in the memory. <laughs> well, you'll have to revisit it at some point and have a second chapter to your St. Andrew's, uh, your St. Andrew's story. But um, mm. you touched on earlier the accessibility of it. And one thing that is unique you know, and special about many of these venues, we touched on it with Carnoustie recently as well in a previous edition of the podcast, is that mm. it is open and accessible. And the old course, perhaps, most visibly, most of all, because, as I say, the old course is public land. And quite literally, on most Sundays of the year, the golf course is closed for play and it becomes effectively a public park. You see dog walkers, people wandering around, golfers walking in the footsteps of the holes, kids running around playing. And it's not an image that you would commonly associate with a legendary sporting venue that literally the public can walk down and just take it as their own. But it is it does belong to the people and, and the town. Uh, and that's quite unique. But also... If, you, if anyone who wants to come to St Andrews, no matter who they are, at what level of golfer, or even no golfer at all, or whatever income or background, they can all play some form of the game here. And perhaps that is best illustrated by the Himalayas uh, putting green, home of the St Andrews Ladies Putting Club, uh, just sitting mm -hmm. alongside the old course, the most remarkable bit of landscape, you know, so undulating and incredible. And that is a public putting, putting course, opened up for most of the week for people to go and play, and it's very inexpensive to go and play it, but it's a wonderful experience to play there and great fun and literally just yards away from the the most iconic view in the game. So, Andy, you had a chance to, to play the Himalayas uh, when you were here. Um, did that do your putting stroke good or bad? I'm not sure. It, it, 
it left me befuddled if I'm being absolutely <laughs> honest. The, uh, the, the gradients and the slopes and the swales were ridiculously difficult, um, but great fun. Absolutely great fun. And the thing that sort of really hit home for me um, when we were there spectating the Lynx Trophy, you've got these, the world, literally the world's best amateur golfers competing in one of the top events. And the outer bounds line for the first fairway is the outer bounds line for the Himalayas putting. And so you've you've got these guys that are going out there and they're the absolute elite. And then um, just over the stake line, you've got kiddies who've clearly never had a uh, held a club in their hands before that are there putting with the parents and having a whale of a time and squealing and chatting. It was fantastic. The atmosphere was incredible, and and to have the two as a, a an incredible juxtaposition for me, <laughs> but exactly what golf is all about. It's about fun, and it's you, you play at the elite level. Wonderful, iconic venue, wonderful, but it's just as important that you've got to engage youngsters yeah. as are clearly being done with things like the Himalayas. Um, I have to say, if I lived as you do there, I'd be on that every single day because <laughs> it was just such great fun. It really was. And I have to say, you would love to spend the week as the guy who sets the pin positions on the Himalayas. I mean, you could become incredibly devilish, incredibly cruel. They change the holes every yeah. week. And uh, you would love to have that chance because you could be really, really imaginative and uh, talking about imagination. I mean, that little putting course, that will test your imagination. And uh, it's just, it just shows you, again, you touched on it there, it's about fun. And the Himalayas is just sheer, sheer fun. And you can play it for a couple of quid, just a pound for kids. I mean, yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. Wonderful place to go and have a no. spend a couple of hours just playing, playing a form of golf and... Um, just taking in the surroundings, you know, tremendous. And it's, it never gets old to play there either. But we will now get on to, I suppose, what most people would come to St Andrews to see is the old course at St Andrews. You know, uh, you can't really say enough about the venue itself. Obviously, an incredibly historic place. Golf has been played on this ground for at least 500 years. Uh, the, old, uh, the Open Championship first came here back in 1873. Uh, the 150th Open, as you touched on earlier, will return to the old course in 2021. It is iconic. So many great players have played here, won here. Tiger, Jack Nicholas, Bobby Jones, Sam Snead. Um, you know, a remarkable list of champions here. And Nick Faldo. Um, it's just the list is endless. And it seems to reward great players. And winning on the old course has got a particular uh, sense of specialness to it. I mean, it seems to be a little bit elevated beyond any of the rest of them. If you can win here, you've achieved a bit of immortality. I think it's fair to say. Mm. But that's for the elite players. But the great thing is, even people like me and you can go and play it as well. And um, and we have, when you, when you play the old course, you're, you're walking in that history. You're part of it. And you're standing in, you're in those iconic places and you're playing the shots and you're just... For a moment in time, you almost feel that you are the centre of the golf world. Certainly, you feel that way on the first tee and I think on the 18th tee as well. So, playing the old course, Andy, a very, it's like a, it's certainly a bucket list item for any golfer. It's a must for anyone to do. It is, I guess, you touched on it earlier, a borderline, you know, religious experience. But standing on that first tee, 
in that view, where all the people, all the greats have played there before, what was your emotion standing on that first tee, waiting to hit towards what is, frankly, the easiest fairway to hit in golf, apparently? Well, Alex mentioned to me as I was about to to go and sort of place the ball and get ready to tee off, he says, the fairway is 129 yards wide. And that actually made it 10 times more difficult because as far as, as far as I was concerned, I could see 29 yards where I was actually aiming for. And at any point that you play that course, there will be spectators. Um, Mm -hmm. Now in our case, we didn't have a gallery. There was no TV. There was probably maybe half a dozen people who stood to watch that tee shot. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I could have been that could have been my opening tee shot for the Open, because you, you do that feeling of being centred and being the centre of the golfing universe is the strangest feeling, um, but it's a wonderful feeling. There's a wonderful excitement, and there was a real tingle to being able to just stand there and fire it off. But there was also a massive sense of relief when I did manage to get the tee ball away in roughly the direction that I wanted it to go. Um, it Exciting, I think, is probably the word that I would use to sum it all up. It's, um, it's an experience that is difficult to replicate on many other golf courses. And I have played quite a few courses, um, but that was very special it was surreal that feeling to be able to knock it away on the old course knowing what was about to happen and where we were about to go and the things we were about to see um the fact that we were there um as a tribute to my late father-in-law was special the fact that i was there with alex was special and and it, it was just a unique package um it's it's a feeling that I'd struggle to be able to repeat, I think, on any other golf course anywhere in the world. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And also, I, I always feel that the um, when you start at St Andrews in the old course, it feels like the beginning of a journey. And you go on this loop around the golf course, and eventually, of course, you do turn back towards the town. You eventually, of course, you'll finish in the 18th, just next to the first tee. So it, it does feel like a journey, a, a sense of completion when you get round it. And um, yeah. it's a great feeling walking off the first tee. Even though I have hit every conceivable bad shot, you can on that off that first tee. I mean, I've gone left, right, whatever. I mean, if it, if it can be done badly, I've probably done it at some point. So, well, um, I've, 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 as part of pre- preparing for this podcast, I've flicked through some of the old pictures that I've got, and there's a there's a copy of a newspaper report that I did when the Prince of Wales was the captain, and during his driving, it was there's a beautiful description. Now, the the reporter diplomatically describes his tee shot as a splaff that uh, <laughs> that managed to go sort of forty yards down the road. Coincidentally, actually, I think the captain's driving occurred this morning, did it not? Um, with the the use of the cannon at eight o'clock this morning, it would have done because it is presently the RNA's autumn meeting. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a very common thing they do, part of their traditions. But um, of course, the Royal Ancients been there since the seventeen hundreds. You know, obviously, a very historic golf club and a big part in the game's governance governance through the years. But mm. um, you mentioned the the nerves of the first tee, and famously, Dwight D. Eisenhower, former U.S. president, of course, general. 
basically supreme general in World War Two for the United States and the Allied forces. He came to play the old course, and I think in the maybe in the 1950, and he was so terrified of playing off the first tee, he literally went straight to the second hole and teed off from there. He actually skipped the first <laughs> hole. So you're talking about you know a guy, a, a, a you know general, a remarkable individual, and uh, even he felt the nerves of the old course. So quite a remarkable story, and um, one of the many famous faces who, of course, have graced those fairways through the years. But playing the old course is very unique, yeah, somewhat unorthodox layout where you have these four, you have seven double greens, you know, shared fairways. It's both the widest and narrowest golf course you'll see. There's so many different ways to play it. The greens are cavernous and huge. They can literally change the golf course just by moving around the pins a little bit. Uh, the wind direction can shift. It's a truly fascinating golf course to play. It's like playing a chess game. And uh, I think it was... Um, Jeff Ogilvy, the former U.S. Open champion, who said that you know golf has, has increasingly become black and white, and the old course it's just shades of grey. So mm. for you to decide how you play this golf course. So in terms of playing the golf course, Andy, what were your thoughts as you were going around it, and what are your thoughts now looking back on the the, the unique challenge of playing the eighteen holes at the old course? Every single hole would, had got its own unique test, and it it actually changed with the weather conditions. It changed with the wind. It changed as to the direction in which you were traveling. Um, there was a there was a feel. It, it is a sensory experience as you move your way around because there's the sounds, there's the smells, there's. Um, it's a very, very special arena with which to try and challenge yourself against these incredible designers that have gone through the years with the changes and the subtleties and everything else. Um, and I'm struggling. I'm struggling actually to put it to words. Just <laughs> the challenge, um, but it's. It's a pleasurable challenge. I'm trying to think of how Mackenzie describes it, it. Yeah, a pleasurable challenge in every way um, that can be altered. As you say, you know, they can mess about with the pin positions. But in addition to that, you can then be messed about by Mother Nature, mm -hmm. just the wind and everything else. I Three-dimensional chess comes to mind. Um, I think... In fact, I put in the article, I could play it a thousand times and probably play it a different, a thousand different ways yeah. and still be entertained and challenged at each and every turn. That's probably the best way I could describe it. it that The level of versatility that's there was quite stunning. I, I, think, I think that's absolutely spot on. I always feel that it's a golf course that... People always say that it grows on you. I mean, I, I loved it from the very beginning, but it, you do the more times you play it, the more you see its genius. I mean, how this this very small strip of land, the way it was laid out, very unique, very natural. Uh, it's back to the simplicity. It's about strategy. It's about placing your ball. It can change every day by the conditions, by the pin positions, because, I mean, literally they can change one pin by 80 yards and one green, so you're almost playing a different hole, effectively. Uh, they can do so much yeah. to it. And the more you play it, the more you see its different sides, and um, you gain such an appreciation for just how... You, every other golf course, really, you play in the world, 
has either been inspired by the old course or is doing something in response to it. Uh, every golf course either pays homage or it reacts against it, uh, depending yeah. on where you play. Um, it's influential. Uh, influence on golf course design is just you know you can't comprehend it really. I mean, it is the beginning. Uh, in that respect, in terms of people intellectualizing that side of the game and looking at golf courses in that way, uh, you touched on Mackenzie. He, of course, you know, charted the course and wrote so extensively about it, and used that as great inspiration for many other courses he designed, including, of course, Augusta National. Um, you know, it, it does have that timeless sense to it as well. And you mentioned the sensory experience, and it does always feel to me that you're playing on. You know, there was no bulldozers, bulldozers involved in building this course. I mean, it is very natural it's very well maintained given the huge volume of traffic on it uh, and certainly obviously it's far more manicured than what it was when old tom morris was around but you do you do still get the sense of this ground is it's it's been here for centuries even a, a millennia and you know we just the game organically evolved from that and the modern game as we know it now uh, was was certainly a popular popularized there, along with many other uh, key destinations in Scotland. I think notably Leaf Links, Edinburgh, Musselburgh Links, um, North Berwick, and indeed uh, the Perth Inches as well. They were very common places for golf to develop. But St Andrews was the centerpiece for that, and uh, it remains so. So as you were playing, hundred percent, yeah. They, I, I think Bobby Jones. I, I found a quote as. Yeah. That, that Bobby Jones, the, the best amateur golfer, the best golfer, some would argue, of all time. Um, and he was talking about the old course, and he said, you have to study it. The more you study, the more you learn. The more you learn, the more you study. Now, bearing in mind his first experience was in the 21 Open, uh, and he ended up walking off the yes. course because of how badly he'd, 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 he'd gone past in the train and thought that he was looking at fields, but it was actually the old course. But then returned in 27 to win the carrot jug. And he said, I could take out of my life everything except my experiences at St. Andrews, and I would still have a rich, full life. Now, for for an individual of his stature who had the golfing experiences that he had, up to and including designing and being the originator of Augusta National, for him to make that broad claim, that's probably the greatest validation of that course that anybody anywhere could give. Yeah, I think it's it's a quote that remains timeless, and that was he said that in 1958 when he was given the keys to the town of St Andrews, and um, he was just the second American to receive that honour after uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, back in the 18th century, one of the really? one of the founding fathers of uh, the United States. Um, so that, that shows you kind of the, the history of this and um, how far back it goes, but um, fascinating history to it, and uh, this captures that. Um, and again. You know, Bobby Jones obviously is a figure forever associated uh, with the old course, and uh, he you know, he won the Open in twenty seven, and he also won the Amateur in nineteen thirty, the year that he won the, his iconic uh, Grand Slam. And of course, that was the ultimate mic drop. He retired after that from playing. He just he won the Grand Slam. That's it. I'm done. Thank you. Bye bye. And that was it. Um, and why wouldn't you? You know, you've achieved everything you can do. Bang. Well, yeah, we just, walking away. Thank exactly. You. We, well, we just saw that recently with uh, Suzanne Peterson at the Solheim Cup holds the winning putt. 
Thank you. I'm done. I'm retired. Yeah. End on the highest of highs yeah. that you could possibly have. Uh, it's probably the way to go. 100%. But, uh, yeah, so as you were yeah. playing the old course, Andy, obviously when you turn back towards the town, you have that backdrop, that skyline in view all the time, and it does give you a sense of where you are. So what, when you were playing the golf course, what are some of the holes that stood out to you as being the most memorable on the golf course? Um... Definitely seventeen, definitely eighteen, but that's about the the understanding and and all of the the, the television mm-hmm. and everything else that's that's gone with it. But there were the thirteenth is a stunning golf yeah. hole. That some of the the shorter holes, the par threes, are just absolutely incredible in the way that they're put together. Uh, as you walk in some of the par fours and. And I could recognise the names of certain of the bunkers. Um, the the rule of thumb for me is if you're playing a golf course and the bunkers have got names, you know you're in with a challenge. <laughs> um, and and this place is just littered with a very very special. Uh, the, the the layout as well is suited to the elite golfer, but also to the average golfer like me. So there's a whole host of different routing options that's available. And the rough is penal, but it's not too penal to slow the play so you don't lose a a massive amount of golf balls. And it's just, it's evolved over time into something that is right at the very top of the golfing experiences that I've been able to enjoy. No, absolutely, and uh, I think some of the holes you mentioned there are, are, are standouts. You know, the thirteenth, the fourteenth stand out to me. The eleventh, the par three, playing towards the estuary, commonly known as the shortest par five in Scotland. Um, a very difficult par three, eleventh <laughs> there, uh, where Bobby Jones famously walked off the course in twenty one, uh, almost a century ago, and uh, it's a place that uh, can wreck many a card. That's for sure. But it's a wonderful mm. hole, and one of the truly great par threes in the world. But you touched on the 17th and 18th, and obviously the road hole is, I think, it's probably the most famous golf hole in the world. Certainly the most uh, unique, you know, playing over the sheds and the edge of the hotel, and that second shot is just a remarkable shot to play towards the green. Obviously having the road in play, the wall behind it, the road hole bunker, which just gobbles up every single slightly errant shot. You're playing the 17th hole and the 18th hole there, when you have that backdrop alongside you, all the history, all the tradition, the experience of playing there. I mean, that in itself, that that must be a highlight in your golfing life, playing those two holes there at the end. Um, it undoubtedly was. The The 17th wasn't quite as successful as I wanted it to be because the first tee shot ended up in the, uh, the fish pond in the front of the garden of the hotel. Um, so I ended up having to, to do a reload. But... Um, then managed a bogey with the second ball and quite happy. You then move forward and you've got the Swilk and Burn in front of you. You've the tee box and then the the literally that iconic skyline that you're heading towards towards the 18th green. Um, it's just such a surreal experience to know that you're there. Um, and the, the tee ball that we all played on that 18th was very, very special. And I think um, illustrated my reaction to the tee shot <laughs> in the article that we did, because we did capture those on mm-hmm. video. Uh, thankfully, the video 
didn't turn out for the appalling shot that I played on 17. Um, but yeah, very, very special. Very special. No, it certainly is. And of course, walking up that 18th fairway, crossing the Swilkin Bridge or the Golfer's Bridge, as it was originally known as, and uh, and still is officially, uh, crossing that bridge and walking up the fairway, as all the greats have done in the past. Unfortunately, not quite as many people watching as some of the great championships of yesteryear, but you just still feel a sense of where you are. And it's hard not to get caught up in the, the setting. And you know, on the 18th mm-hmm. green there, finishing off, with the, obviously the Arnie Clubhouse there, the skyline, walking off uh, up, this, up the old steps that have been there for centuries uh, and haven't really changed in all that time. I mean, you are almost stepping in ancient footsteps right there. So walking off the old course, Andy, you know, what was your reflection of what you had experienced during the past four hours that day? Reflections. Yeah. It was... I, I think, to be honest, I, I gave this some serious thought when we came back, and the, the overwhelming thing for me was uh, it made references to time, sort of the time that it we took to play the course, but where we were in time, and uh, the the picture that we took on the Swilcom Burn, I've I've seen pictures of when Arnold Palmer did his final round there when Nicholas did his final round when Tom Watson did his final round and and to, to be there and to have photographs with exactly the same sort of uh taken from the same angle and the same background and everything else it was just <sighs> if there was time travel that would be the place where I would want to go back mm-hmm. in time that's probably the best way in which I could sort of explain the feelings. Yeah, yeah. If if time travel ever came around, that would be the place that I would want to be taken back in time. It would be at the Jigger Inn to be able to pick the different generations that have gone before, to be able to have that sensory experience and to know that I'd actually teed it up at the same place as those people. Um, yeah, that, that that would be the way to go. Yeah, I think, I think it's fair to say that the you know, time almost seems to stop when you're on the Swilkin Bridge or playing the old course where you feel that you're just part of the game's past and the present and indeed the future as well. I mean, there'll be people in generations that will be going there and playing and and uh, when, you are, when you're there, you have, for, the, for those brief moments, it, you are, as you, you are that one person on that tee playing a shot and um, mm. as so many countless people have done before uh, and it is special I mean there's, there's, it's hard to encapsulate it into words and um, I mean you look at the all the names you mentioned there you're, you're almost playing with all these ghosts watching the ghosts of golf's past and future and present and everything all there in one it's uh, almost a Dickensian feel of the whole thing you'll, you know, all the ghosts are there watching you and uh, no it's incredible and it, it never gets old and to share it with other people is something that I find a real joy but, of course, there are other golf courses too, St Andrews Andy. You know, there is the new course, the Jubilee course, the Castle course, the Strathtyrum, and that nine-hole bow golf course. These are all there, different costs, different levels of golfer are suited to, there for everybody to go and experience. It's a wonderful public facility, the biggest in Europe, arguably the best in the world. But the course that you played when you were there, in addition to the old, was the Eden 
designed by Harry Colt, opened mm. in 1914, sits alongside the old course. If people watching have see the 13th and 14th holes of the old course, if they're watching the Dunhill links or whatever it might be, you're wondering what that golf course over the road is just next to it is the Eden course. And you played that course, Andy, in some fairly horrible inclement conditions, but nonetheless, you thought that was a wonderful experience. Oh, absolutely. Um, great value um, in absolutely superb condition. Um, and having the ability to be able to, uh, to sort of tee it up there, there was just the two of us um, and just totally engaging from the moment you first park the car to where you walk into the clubhouse and it's a modern clubhouse. It's all very slick and clean. The staff were really well-schooled. Um, and yet the design of it, with it being a, a Harry Colt-based thing, was just stunning, absolutely stunning. If that course was anywhere else in the world, mm. it, it, it would be talked about in really revered terms. Um, and the people that got involved in its development and its progression over the years you know you you've got Varden you've got Braid you've got Taylor um Mackenzie ended up um having some involvement in it and it was just superb for 50 quid it was <laughs> ridiculous value absolutely ridiculous value um the 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 way in which it it moves out and comes back you get a real the rhythm of the course is brilliant. Um, and yeah, the, the, the par fours, each and every one of them had its own unique challenge. Uh, and it's all about positional play and, and strategy. It was, it was definitely a bit of the three dimensional chess bit to be able to move it down. Um, and when you move out towards the estuary uh, and you see the Eden estuary close to the um, to the tea boxes, uh, stunning, absolutely stunning. Because then in the background over the other side of the estuary, you've got this mountainous area and you just you just completely forget where you are. You don't sort of think of yourself as being within the old grey tomb. Mm. It, it's just you're, you're positioned in some jaw-droppingly beautiful scenery and countryside on an impeccably maintained and brilliantly designed golf course that's cost you 50 quid it's fabulous no it certainly is i think eden course is a uh, very underappreciated and i think anyone who plays there would be surprised at how good it actually is and it's a mm. course as you say if that was your one course that you played your home golf club course i mean you'd be very lucky indeed i mean it's in a course it's just part of a feast of golf uh, that you have within the town of St Andrews. And one thing you did want to mention, Andy, was the Lynx Clubhouse, the main clubhouse for the St Andrews Lynx, uh, just sits alongside the, the 18th green of the new course, uh, just along from the old course, and uh, there's a rooftop garden there. And the view, top, yeah. the view from that rooftop is spectacular, panoramic, and uh, that, when you stood up there, that made it really sink in where you were, didn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. That if any of um, anyone listening to the podcast is going to visit, 
the area, one of the things I would say as a first time visitor, it, it, it was incredibly helpful to go to that rooftop garden uh, as a result of the advice we've been given by Kieran to position ourselves on there because you're then able to orientate yourself completely to all the, the seven courses that are available. It's an absolutely beautiful spot. You get a panoramic view of the Himalayas, of the old course, the new, the Jubilee. It is a brilliant vantage point, and it's a really good place to go early on in your visit in order to be able to orientate yourself as to which way the different courses track and how they move and how they follow the, the natural contours. Because the beauty of these courses is that um, – Although I've mentioned all these famous, fabulous designers that's had involvement, it was Mother Nature and God that created the basic template and the basic canvas that they've all worked upon. Um, and it's, for me, that would be the best travel tip as a first-time visitor. Go onto that rooftop, check it out, spend some time up there, and just being able to orientate yourself as to where everything else was sitting within that complex, because it will help you when you come to play any or all of the courses. Um, not forgetting the driving range, the the um, the driving range uh, and practice facilities are literally second to none anywhere in the world. They. You could go up to this area and justify it purely and simply by going on the range all day and going to the practice. It's that good. Um, but then you've got the Stratherium course, which is, um, you know, really, really accessible. Uh, there's no waiting list. You're able to get on there. That was a great experience. Yeah, th this th this is a golfing nirvana. Um, if you have the opportunity, go for it because you will not regret it at whatever level, at whatever ability, there is something there for you as a traveling visiting golfer. Well, I, I don't think we can really sum it up any better than that. And, uh, you know, St. Andrews is a remarkable place, a place I'm very lucky to call my home and uh, a place I forever enjoy sharing it with other people. And it was a real joy to have you here back in the summer, Andy, to share it with you and Alex and, um, it was a great memory and a great week and um, hopefully one day we'll have a chance to revisit that and have a, a second chapter on that uh, St Andrew's story because it is a, a place there's so much to discover and uncover and uh, every time you come here there's something new to experience and to see and um, you'll certainly be left with the, the memories of a left lifetime. As you mentioned earlier, you know, Bobby Jones is I iconic words. I mean, he could take out everything in his life, but my experiences here in St Andrews, and I still would have had a rich and full life. And that is what St Andrews offers, a rich and full experience. Andy, it has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast, as always. And um, as we draw this discussion to a close, I would encourage all of our listeners to track their scores and stats on Golf Shake. And as always, we want you to play more and to play better. My name is Kieran Clark, alongside Golf Shake Ambassador Andrew Pickin, discussing the wonderful town of St Andrews, the home of golf, and the famous old course. Until next time, thank you all for listening. <laughs>